Okay, um, well, first of all, the song you just heard is called Union of One from the Slow Motorcade album, Sex, Drags, and Rock and Roll. We're going to talk today about the album and its history, the mastermind behind the project and co-host of our brand new Deep Politics and Rock and Roll podcast, Mr. Anthony Castillo. Anthony, thanks well, for doing this. And uh, well, well, thank you for having the interest to do it. I mean, talk about flogging a dead horse. I mean, this this thing's in ashes already. I mean, it's decomposed and is dust. <laughs> but uh, 
but I appreciate it because it is my, you know, my life's work. And uh, I'm I'm still, you know, uh, even though it's old, came out in 2002, um, uh, I'm still proud of it. I think it holds up. I was surprised. I hadn't listened to it in quite a while. And then when you expressed the interest in, in talking to me about it, I ended up playing it again. And I went, you know, this stuff's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, you know, when I when we first met, I met you through um I heard an I read an interview with you online mm-hmm. and I had been doing a, a music podcast for like I don't know, 4 years already at that point, 3 years mm-hmm. maybe. And I mean, I didn't find any political music and I you know, I had just sort of started writing political music strictly political uh songs at around the time when I met you but um mm-hmm. I always would play stuff if it was political because that's what I was really into and the whole podcast was political anyway because I was trying to avoid corporate music completely and just discover right. new stuff and you know so you're like the only band that combined the, the stuff that I love, which is like rock and roll and politics or deep politics, progressive politics, it's all in there. And it just blew my mind that you even existed. So, and, and then it turns out you were in LA. And so I emailed you and uh, asked you if I could get a copy. Actually, I bought a copy before you replied. But then mm-hmm. when I met you, what did we do? We went yeah, to thank, see. Uh, and thank you very much for that, by the way. <laughs> You're one of the few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, what did we do the first time we hung out? We went to see that play. We, we, yeah, we went and saw Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Itch at the uh, uh, at the Hedwig with and the Angry Itch at the at the Roxy. Yeah, with uh, uh, Donovan Leach. Yeah, the son of uh, Donovan. Yeah, that was really so, fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a a, a great night. Um, great play. I've seen it with three different three different headwigs and uh yeah it's uh, yeah Stephen Trask is uh um yeah he's one of my musical heroes I, I think that guy's amazing but um um but I uh, I don't know back to uh, subject in hand because I could talk about other people other people's music <laughs> way more way which more we'll, successfully than talk about my own you know? which we'll do in, in upcoming episodes I'm sure a lot oh, um, so let's before we get into like the the whole thing let's just talk about the song we just heard Union of One yeah never never goes out of date does it uh, sad <laughs> to say uh, yeah. I mean, well, well, that tune for me was just, uh, it was always something that, I mean, I always had in me because I was just trying to channel uh, Pete Seeger, uh, the Weavers, uh, um, you know, that, that's, that, that, those militant uh, labor songs, you know, Woody right. Guthrie kind of stuff. And because uh, I mean those the songs are still amazing. I mean I listen to that stuff and uh, I mean that can bring a tear to my eye. It's yeah. just so powerful and so committed and militant that I just uh, I marvel at the uh, the lyric content and the the commitment that the that the 
those people had. I mean, and they suffered for it, you know. I mean, there was the whole blacklist thing. And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, like I say, that sort of thing for me never grows old. And it's something that I always, always aspire to, to even, you know, try and emulate such great, great writers and, and committed activists such as them. And uh, so that's what I was going for. You know, and I think the, yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud. I think the lyric, you know, holds up. I think it's, uh, I think it's something that, uh, like I said, never grows old. Uh, regrettably, uh, you know, workers are still getting screwed, and um, hopefully, the, hopefully there'll be a day when they won't. Hopefully, you know. Right. But it's just, uh, I don't know when that day is going to come, but uh, you know, hopefully. It's, Hopefully we'll see it in our lifetime. That would that would be one thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's what that that's that's yeah, that's my main I was you know, and anyway, that's what I was trying to do. I was just trying to I was just trying to uh um you know, channel like I say, Pete Seeger and, and uh Guthrie and and uh the Weavers and yeah, just any of that 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 great militant, you know, which side are you on kind of uh, sentiment that the, the that they put forth, and so that that was it. And, it, and of course, I did it in the the style of uh, the professionals or, or Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers, you know, because uh-huh. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for that stuff. I mean, I just I love it to death. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what that's what attracted me to the record. I mean, you got a you got a deep po- deep politics. Uh, name of the band Slow Motorcade, which we yeah. can get into later, and so that's like right in my alley. And then it's like this sort of glam, sort of punky, you know, uh, the piano. I remember the piano on one of the songs was like, "This is what I want to do," you know. It was like so great. Yeah. Well, that was what, that was my goal. Well, that if you want to know what the whole blueprint for Slow Motorcade was, I mean, it was like. Uh, when I decided, I'd already done a couple of bands of my own. The first one was like a total self-conscious power pop band back in uh, in Phoenix, uh-huh. and that band it was called The Motive. And um, I was really, really, uh, God, I mean, it was terrible. I didn't know how to write songs yet, but I still did. I was the lead singer of the band. It was two guitars, bass, and drums. And I was trying to trying to do like a, a plimsolls beat uh, you know that kind of thing and um um but it you know it was it was all you know it was like you know 99 percent girl songs and stuff and I, I i hated that i mean i loved it when i was doing it but afterwards it's like god that was terrible and then, <laughs> then did you guys record it? not really i mean we did a live recording that's kind of you know that's not bad, I have it, and if you ever want to, uh, if you ever want to put yourself through that, I can play it for you one day. Um, then I had another band in LA um, uh, called Tubit Fortune, and uh, that band was just, you know, kind of doing what everyone was doing in the 80s, but with not as quite as big a hair, you never and uh, yeah, I was the lead singer of the first, my first band and the second band, 
Um, but, I mean, my voice is like, I'm kind of like a power pop Lou Reed, you know, and I don't think there's a lot of call for that sort of thing. So when I was going to put another band together, I, I, I kind of figured, well, maybe I'm not cut out to be a singer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should just stick to my strength, which by this time was writing songs because uh, here's, Here's the history in a nutshell. I'll try and keep this brief. Um, I'm, I went to go see a gig that my friend Louis uh, Matoyer was uh, doing. And uh, uh, my, he was married to uh, my good friend from Arizona, Liz Fox, who sings on 16 Forever, the last cut on. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, uh, well, so, uh, you know, Liz's husband, Lewis, was playing in this band. They had a girl singer. It was kind of a Joplin-esque kind of singer, kind of a, a Maggie Bell kind of chick, you know. She was real good. And and he, and um, Liz told me, she goes, oh, you're really going to like the other guitar, guitar player, Francois. He's really good. And, uh, and this guy, he kicked my ass. I mean, uh, he... He played like Keith Richards if Keith Richards had the technical uh, virtuosity of Eddie Van Halen. Uh, Wow. He he was like that kind of melding. He was like super cool. He was totally into the cool stuff, had a good haircut, had a a velvet blazer on, played a Telecaster. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, he was totally... Totally Keith, except he could shred, you know. And uh, I was like, "Wow, this guy's amazing!" And and he really was French, and still is to this day. You know, I mean, he's from uh, uh, Toulon, France, I believe the town he's from, in uh, the south of France. And um, wow. So we met, and and uh, and we got along great. I didn't think anything of it. Though. I just told him he was really a great player, and. And anyway, so he was putting, he was trying to put something together. And Liz tells me, he's like, oh, Francois, you know, what, uh, you know, you guys, I don't know how it happened, but we ended up hanging out again or we met up. And turns out that, you know, back then this counted for a lot, you know, in the, in the late 80s and 90s, uh, you know, what you looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and sure. I guess I, you know, I guess we were compatible. I was like his Ron. I was like Ron Wood to his Keith. And um, right. so, uh, so we started getting together. And I, I had these songs that were kind of half written, and uh, I would have parts like I had like Union of One. That's the answer. I had like, okay, I got this chorus. I've got this riff. I've got that middle break. You know, and, and all that, but I didn't really know how to arrange it to me like really cool. So I I played it for friends. So I go, hey, I got this. You know, what do you got? Because this guy's a monster player. I mean, he's like a monster. <laughs> this uh-huh. guy can't. I can't stress how good he is. Real kind of sloppy. I guess that's where the Keith comes in. Even though he can totally shred, but. uh Great arranger. He literally heard those parts that I threw out. I go, okay, I got this, I got this, and I got this. He goes, oh, well, that that should be here. And he goes, no, that's your intro. And he plays. I'm like, oh my, and he plays the whole thing, like immediately. 
Like there was no time lag. He plays it immediately. He goes, yeah, this would be good. You know, and his thick accent. And I'm like, and I'm, I, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was hearing. But I didn't know how to put it together, you know. So that's how it started. Francois is, is really the inspiration. And he really taught me a lot on like how to put a tune together. Because after he left... I mean, That's we cool. worked together. We we worked together off and on for uh, you know a couple of years. I mean, until <laughs> I won't I won't get into how his life kind of kind <laughs> right. of fell apart. And so I don't you know I love the man. I, oh, he he's one of those people like we haven't talked in in years, but I know if I saw him tomorrow, we would pick up right where we left off. Right. We, we would we would still have the chemistry that we always had. I've never played with a another musician where I've had such instant chemistry. And I mean, because cool. I'm a horrible I'm a horrible guitar player. I mean, I, I really am. People go, oh no. You, you say know, that, but no. I'm like, okay, what what are the horrible guitar parts on Slow Motorcade? I don't hear them. Oh well, I I, I had to practice my ass off just to <laughs> get my. But but no, I'm I, I'm. I'm like a Joan Jett guitar player. In fact, that's what I always used to say is like my role model is Joan Jett. I said I just wanted yeah. to be the male the male Joan Jett. I mean that that yeah. was that that's all I aspired to. I never wanted to sit home and learn you know, guitar solo about yeah. Yeah, off a deep purple album or anything like that. As much as you know, <laughs> so, you know, as long as that's as much as that's great and everything. But um yeah. that that just wasn't me. I, I was I'm always more attracted to like really great songwriting, and so. So how how did you, you learn to play guitar? Well, that was see that's another thing. I was a really late bloomer. I didn't uh, pick up the instrument until I was like solidly in my twenties. And really, uh, everybody else is playing when they're like yeah. fifteen and shit, and I'm like, Dude. I, don't, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like. 18 as a late bloomer. Oh, really? No, no. I was. I'm a, and I see. And the only reason that happened was because my mom kicked me out of the house. <laughs> That's another long story. And I <laughs> and I ended up ended up going to these. Uh, this is back in Arizona. I ended up going to these uh, uh, living with these guys, um, uh, Dr. Wilk and uh, Bruce Canole. These are guys I went to high school with, and these guys are. They're again really good players, really uh, fucking good players. And this is like when the only way thing was happening and stuff. And and there was this roommate they had, this guy Mark Tibbon, who was really into like prog rock and like weird shit, like Henry Cow. And and the only thing that we we resonated together on was Roxy music because he really liked Roxy music and Phil Manzanera. So, uh, but that that was about the only common ground we had. That maybe I don't know. Yes, you know that was about as far as it went. But yeah. um, but these guys they were they they were really good players, and so the so they go, hey, we need a bass player. Why don't you you could learn bass? I'm like, fuck, I don't I don't know. So they started teaching <laughs> me how, and I'm like, I can't do this. So they started teaching me chords. And that's like, and it was so, it was a total accident. It wasn't like I'm like, wow, I really want to play guitar. And wow, I really want to. No, I didn't. That wasn't me. I was just a music fan, you know. I mean, I went to yeah. I went to high school with those cats. And then when I transferred to uh, Camelback, 
you know, then I went to high school with like um, Paul Sanchez, the guy that my friend that was in um, um, the Jim Carroll band, and uh, and you know, and so I'm surrounded by these like people like that. And again, I was never taking the instrument that seriously. Then, uh, you know, whatever. Then I go off to college and, you know, and I, yeah, and I, I hear the first Cheap Trick album in Michigan. That's where I'm originally from. And wow. and, and that album just, I mean, it, it was like a kick in the balls. I was just like, oh, my yeah. God. This is every, you know, I thought, this <laughs> is it. This, that, that first Cheap Trick album, I mean, there's like certain albums you can say change your life. That That was the one. People call it the black and white album. Yeah, well, some people call it the first cheap trick album the black black and white album. I, you know, it's just cheap trick, cheap trick for me. But yeah, um, yeah, that first record just fuck. I was like, because see, oh, man, I, I'm like, see, that's what that's what Slow Arcade was to me. Like, it was like when I decided after, uh, you know, I. I, I Cupid Fortune was like, you know, that was whatever. I mean, that was fun, but, you know, and I got to meet the Walsh brothers, uh, you know, um, um, you know, David and um, and his, um, God, makes me sad, you know, uh, Brian, the, the, the CD's dedicated to him. He took his own life. Um, oh, wow. But, um, but anyway, I got to play with those guys and, and Fidel. And so, I mean, they were great players, and that's always been my, kind of my, my M.O., is that I, even though I'm half-baked, I play with people that are a lot better than me, and I don't know how I'm able to work shoulders. That's a, that's a great, you know, thing to do. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> These days. I didn't start out doing yeah, that. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm, I don't know how that even freaking happens, like, you know, why they even let me in the room, but... um I figured, well, if you write the songs, that gives you the power. So, yeah. and plus, yeah. that's what I, I liked doing best anyway. Even though it's the hardest thing in music to do, it's yeah. the most. God, it's oh, oh, it's so tedious. 
I mean, some people love doing it, and I'm like, oh my god, and you're like, oh great, you love giving birth over and over and over and over, and over again, you know. And I'm like, oh, I love man, yeah, you know. And um, so anyway, I, uh, I yeah, I heard you know, there's all these things leading up to it, you know, and and then I went to Club Lingerie and uh, saw the Godfathers, and I'm like. Oh my God! I'm like, oh, and Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick was there, and and a whole and a bunch of other celebs. I'm like, wow, this is wow. I mean, these guys are, and I went on a whim too because I I hadn't heard them. I hadn't heard Birth School, Work Death, and uh, the third album had come out. I don't know how they flew under my radar, but uh, I just saw the write up in the Weekly, and I went, oh shit, I'm gonna check these guys. So I go down to lingerie. And and again, it was like that experience all over again. So I just kicked my ass. I mean, the Coin Brothers and those guitar players, and it, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah. It was just, it was perfect. politics in it. They wrote great put-down songs. The, the next day, I went to the Tower Records, and it's uh, still by my house in Sherman Oaks, and, uh, and I bought uh, uh, all the stuff, you know, all their stuff, everything I could find, you know. Uh-huh. Doesn't matter what I say tomorrow, still another day. And it's weird, you know, you like you were talking about the Soul Medicaid name, and I, and the person who gets credit for that is my my dear ex-wife, who I still love dearly. Um, I, we were driving down the 405, and, I, and and that's a key sometimes is, is having a good name that can start yeah. the ball rolling. So I was thinking, I was like, I was like, well, I want something that kind of, to me, because the. The assassination of JFK was the most important thing that's happened while I've been alive, and uh, it, because it was a, an instance where the ruling class took out one of their own, you know, right. 
And and I was like, wow, the oligarchs felt threatened by this guy, you know. And I didn't understand really until later, and especially now knowing you, you know, to the extent of it, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and you and you really lay that out musically in your great CD, um, uh, American University, and <laughs> okay. uh, which which is a, uh, a very slow slow motorcade ish title, which I give you credit for just. So I'm driving, we're driving on the 405 and I go, I want something that references the Kennedy assassination, but I don't want it to be can't, it's got to be like a, a like the motorcade slowed down and the, it was like the slowing motor in my, and, and Linda just pops off and goes, how about slow motorcade? And I'm like, that's it! That's it! I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. So anyway, I held on to that title or that band name for like years and until I meet Francois and uh, and then we start, you know, writing these songs. I mean, we we have to, the record uh, was really put together with him, him and I. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he moves, well, we practice with him and stuff. We had, And then we couldn't find a singer. And we was like, oh, my God. And then, he went, and then after Francois left, I was like, well, I got to keep writing tunes because I don't have enough. And so I started writing songs and then I got back with David and I played him the stuff that Francois and I had arranged and that we had kind of recorded on, you know, cassette tape. And he was like, and, and David, I mean, mo- again, monster musician. I will never put him down, take anything away from him. Very, very odd person. <laughs> very, very difficult to deal with. On yeah. Different levels. Amazing guitar player. I, I, I swear, Francois. I mean, I've played with three of the the best guitar players. I mean, first Francois, then David, and they met. I mean, and they were both little dudes too. They're both like five six, five seven. So they're both little little guys, and and they would play off of each other. And I, I would just sit there like I'm. Um, I don't know if if you got, you know. Christopher Parkening and and uh, I don't know uh, fucking Segovia in the same room, you know, and you just like watched him go at it, you know. Right, I was just like right. amazed, like holy shit, I can't even believe I'm sitting in this room, you know. Um, wow. And then uh, Joe Hutchinson, you know, the the who's the final yeah. guitar player, and who we actually gigged with, you know. And uh, yeah. but uh, man, it was it was. Uh, it was pretty pretty amazing. I mean, those guys are all three of them pretty incredible players. And uh, and uh, anyway, anyway, I'm rambling, but um, um, but that's how it started. You know, it was just me, a little French guy, trying to figure out tunes, and using the blueprint of uh, the Godfathers. And uh, oh, one key thing too was I played Francois. I made a tape. He goes, okay, well, what are you into? And so I I made him a tape like of like whole bunch of stuff and we went all the way from like uh i don't know the professionals to the babies to cheap trick but one song i put on this tape was uh the ian hunter song england rocks Uh and francois heard that and for him that was a life-changing moment he heard Uh that song and just went he calls me up and he he just lost it he lost it he's like oh my god this is the most amazing song i've ever heard in my life you know and i'm like (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, great. I mean, I love it, too. And he's just like, oh, no, we got to do that. We have to do that. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. He goes, we're going to do that wow. and the Godfathers put together. And cool. I'm, like, I'm like, okay, twist my arm, you know. You know, I made the conscious decision, like, okay, what's this band going to be like? And I, and I said, well, it's going to be total white boy rock and roll. I said, that's what it's going to be. And, yeah. and I said, it's going to be everything I like. It's going to be glitter rock, you know, punk rock, power pop. It's going to be, like, that's it. It's going to be yeah. all of that. And I don't care if people are going to get confused by it because... I looked at bands like the Cheap, like Cheap Trick and the Raspberries, and I went, that's it. I, I can't think of... Cheap Trick, the Raspberries, and the Godfathers are probably the three most perfect bands I can point to and say, that was it. That was the blueprint, you know? Oh. And, uh, and uh, so, and, then, and that, you know, and so I, I went out, and I, I, I think I kind of accomplished it, but it was, yeah. uh, it was just... Like I said, I was just trying to. I was. I just wanted to pay homage to my uh, my influences without being too blatant about it, you know. And even though, like I say, the Union One uh, is, uh, you know, Pete Seeger meets the Professionals, you know. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you? Uh... Did Did you have everything written and arranged before you recorded, or did you do some of it in the studio? No, we pretty much had it. I mean, we were pretty well rehearsed. Um, you know, we, we we had it down. Uh, you know, the songs the songs had already we really didn't go in the studio and go, okay, let's change that or anything. Maybe on a, a couple things we just kind of tweaked. But basically, all the arrangements, all the lyrics are done. You know, and and I wrote all the all the lyrics because, as Robert Plant proved, in Spades. Just because you're a lead singer doesn't mean you're a lyricist. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's just. I'll I, prove that too. 
Yeah, and so did Ian Gillen, and yeah, there you can go on and on. <laughs> They're just like, you know, that's why I give uh, Roger Daltrey of the Who, uh, you know, a lot of credit. You know, it's like, okay, Pete, yeah. just tell me what I'm going to say. You know, <laughs> and like, Robin Zander too. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, although like, Robin Zander had some good songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has his moments too. You know, I mean, you gotta. Yeah. Yeah, you know. You, you get uh, you get some angst you gotta let out. So yeah, I think I think but, uh, you know being in a band with a great songwriter rubs off because look at like Tommy Stinson, his yeah. songs are fucking. I mean, I like his songs better than than Paul sometimes. You know that I mean that is there's always like styles that I wish I could cop, and and yeah. the Westerberg, those chord changes that he comes up with oh, like yeah. uh, very jazz. UB, yeah, you be me for a while, and I'll be you. And that song he wrote with Joan Jett and stuff. I go, oh, oh man, I wish I could cop those chord changes. Yeah, but they're like just not in. Yeah, they're just not in me. And the other, the other style, which is like totally different, uh, the way Wally Stalker from the Babies writes songs too. He just yeah, is, it, the the modes are, are are oh, I just love that stuff. It's just so neat. I just. I, I, ugh, I'm yet to yet to do that, but then I'd like to write a great Motown song too. So fuck it, you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so when you uh, recorded, did you record together as a band then, since you had it all down? Uh well, we recorded the rhythm section, and let's talk about those motherfuckers. Um, right. Yeah, we record, we recorded them together, and then we did like scratch guitars, and if they sounded good, we would keep them. Uh, uh, or parts of it, or if we needed to redo them again, we we would. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and then, of course, we'd do the vocals and tons of overdubs because, I mean, we threw in the kitchen sink here. We didn't all back anything. There's keyboards. Yeah. There's, there's, real, there's real brass. There's percussion. There's hand claps. That's why there's... I ask you, the horns are real, huh? <laughs> oh, God, yes. Probably Gregory. I mean, I love Probin so much. He's, you know, his latest gig has been playing with uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys for the last, I don't know, what, oh, eight right. years. I mean, he went to GIT. He's, a, he's actually a really good guitar player. I mean, oh. that's his main deal. But he was also, at the same time, uh, you know, he could play French horn, trombone, and trumpet. You know? <laughs> so we go, you know, I go, hey, Probin, we got this. We got this kind of a, a, a who song, so we, you know, would you come in and and he and he nailed it, you know. It was yeah. Great. We'll, yeah. Get, we'll get the we'll get the zip tune. What do you want to play next, Dis? It's time for some tunes. We've been talking enough. <laughs> All right. Well, let's play. Uh, well, hmm. well, I haven't had well, haven't had... next on the album. Yeah, and that's a that's a really I love that. That's another political song. It's, it's about. Uh, I'll I'll tell the audience what it's about before they hear it. It's uh it's about compassion fatigue, and it's about my favorite line in the um the tune is um um you know cardboard hotels on concrete rooms with a view, watch the economy grow and step right over you. Um, right. you know it's a it's about how like you know. And, and I, you know, and I wrote this a long time ago. And it, how much yeah. worse is it now today? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, the gap. You, it, 
You wrote this before Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> oh, like way before. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, almost I'm, before I'm, I'm 9/11. Wa- yeah, and I'm watching this like this this, you know, the uh, the gap, uh, the wealth inequality just just exploding and I'm like what the hell. So um and, and and David wrote the music to this and he goes, "Oh, I have this this riff that I, he goes, I think it sounds real Mick Ronson. I think you'll like it." And uh and he played it for me and I was like, "Bronson, no." I said, "This is faces, dude." I mean, it's I go, "This is total faces." And the and the guitar tone that he gets on that intro, the the beginning riff, it's just classic Les Paul you know, humbucker, PAF, just great tone. And then, but everything else on that song, the slide guitar, the little U2 type guitar solo, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, that's all on my Les Paul Jr. So every other guitar Mm -hmm. on that is my guitar. Uh, Not, I didn't play it all. David played some of it and I'm playing my parts, but so like three quarters of that song is played on, on my Les Paul Jr. And, uh, but uh, his real ballsy intro and, all the way through, that's his uh, his uh, Les Paul custom.
I was going to say, who came up with the Baby or Rich Man outro? Oh, well, you know, that's that's weird. Remember I was talking about the, the laundry list of singers we went through, and it's like, yeah. oh, man. Uh, we we all we we gigged with two singers. We okay. I, I, earlier I said we gigged only with Joe on guitar. That I, I think back now that's not true. We did a, one gig. We did well actually. We we gigged with three singers. Yeah okay. Yeah we gigged with wow. three singers, and and uh, the we did one gig with one singer. This guy uh, Kenneth. Kenneth Andrews from Florida, who, oh, man, if he wasn't such a just, if Francois was a singer, that's the guy he would have been, you know, and he was just so, oh, God, I put out an ad, he answers the ad, and I'm like, okay, but he needs to get a record deal or else he's moving back to Florida immediately, and I'm like, Dude, what you want me to fucking what? Yeah, you want a monkey to fly out of my ass too while you're at it? You wow, know? yeah, man. You know, so people are just <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I remember I interviewed a, a girl in a band. Oh, she was so good too, and I don't want to say her name, but on my podcast, and I was like, well, when are you going to come play in L.A.? And she goes, pay me a million dollars, and I'll come. And I was like, what the right, fuck? Exactly. Like, she totally seemed like she was like a rock and roll, like, just, I don't know, like, she seemed so authentic, and then she said that, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, Kenneth was in this really great band in Japan called uh, Casino Drive, and they were a really international band. It was like, uh, he was the only American. He was the lead singer in that band, and yeah, um, he, uh, he had. I think the guitar player's name is Shake. He's like a guitar hero in Japan. He's like wow. really well known. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think he's on that um, that Matahupo tribute album that uh, that Morgan Fisher put together that, of all Japanese bands. Uh, I think he's on that. I'm pretty sure. And uh, and really and it, cool. yeah, and 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 so it was a couple Japanese dudes, and then there were these two other cats. I think they were like one was like Swiss or French or something. Anyway, it were really international bands. So you had Japanese dudes, and you had European dudes. I'm talking like real European dudes from Europe, and and uh, yeah. and and Kenneth. I'm like, you know, and you tell, I don't even remember how that came together, but anyway, the story's not important. But he ended up, uh, we, we, got, we would go into the rehearsal studio with this guy, and Kenneth would, he could do an absolutely did, drop did, perfect David Lee Roth imitation. And of course, David starts playing, you know, running with the devil and shit. I'm like, oh my God, would you stop this? this and then Tom would start playing. And of course, Carl knew it. And I'm just sitting there going, fuck these guys. When is this going to be over? So <laughs> it, was, it was agonizing. Rehearsals could be very tedious. But, uh, yeah. but and it was weird. Kenneth was like a really good singer, though he would get off key sometimes. But he could always hear, and David could always know. Here, he played on guitar. I know it. It's this. And he would hear it and be able to correct it. And that's... Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, as long as the singer is, can hear, because that's the part, man, you run into, is singers can't hear when they're off, you know? Right. And then you're in trouble. 
at least he could hear. Oh, okay, I hear it. And then he, you know, he could, he could correct. So we did one gig, we did one gig with him with, and at, I was at this dive. I don't even remember what the place is called. It's not there anymore. It was in uh, off of like uh, um, uh, Highland, and it was back when Hollywood was. It was dangerous, you know, and it was before it got gentrified, and. Um, and we were playing a really cool gig with. Uh, we were opening up for Mario Scavetto's band, the uh, the Dragons from uh, San Diego, and uh, I'm really you know good friends with that family and 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 Javier, uh, and uh, so it's Javier's little brother, and uh, so <laughs> and, 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 and so we opened for him. And, oh, no, actually, they played before us. That's right, because they wanted they didn't want to lose the audience, so they made us go on after them. That's what it was. And they had a really good, really good drummer. Uh, they were a great band. I, I love them. Regrettably, their bass players passed away, and, and they were great. I, I love them. They were. Uh, I always had a great time with those guys, and um, it was a really good gig. I mean, so we played after them, and and the drummer was really good. So Tom just was like on fire that night. I mean, he was lethal. I mean, he was like, you know, I mean, he's like Bonham meets Buddy Rich meets Keith Moon meets, you know, Ian Pace already, you know, and, but he went off that night. He threw in everything and I'm turning around going, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. You know, (laughs) and and Kenneth and Kenneth is just doing this, all his shtick, and it was great. I'm like, and that was it. And then he moved back to Florida. It was oh, like, wow. it was like, oh my god, god. And he was just a weird guy. He go, okay, you're gonna write a song right now. He'd set me down. Okay, write a song. And I'm like, okay. And I wrote best you ever had at his house, like under wow. duress. Like I'm gonna make you write a song right now. I'm like, oh okay. And I did. <laughs> nice. So he's the one who came up with the baby or rich man section? No, I'm there. Now let me continue. So then we, we, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking for a singer and I'm, I'm, I'm turning over every rock, putting ads, talking to people, nobody. And uh, anyway, that's how I met um, our good friend and, and comrade and, um, and uh, comrade in arms and Politico, uh, uh, Dimitri Monroe. That's how I met right. him. That's how I met you uh, because you interviewed you online. Yeah, and I I was just like, um, uh, that's that's how we met, and you know, that we became you know fast friends and still are to this day. And uh, so we, anyway, I'm at I'm at this gig. I don't know what it was, and people. I don't. Even, it was it was really weird. It was like in Hollywood somewhere, but uh, close to like Melrose, Hollywood. And it wasn't like, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood. And um and um and and the, and they and this band, they're kind of jamming afterward. They played their set, and this guy Quentin gets up and and sings these Beatles songs, and he's like, really good. I'm like, wow. I go, you know, he's not too hard on the eyes. Guy looks all right. He's dressed good. He's got a killer girlfriend. I'm thinking, okay, guy can hold a tune. You know, he, he looks okay. He, he obviously got the girl. So I'm like, right. okay. <laughs> so yeah. so anyway, we 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 play with him. We, David meets him, and they become like a pair. 
I'm like, oh, and that's like bad because I'm like, wait a minute, I got, I'm trying to keep this in a direction, <laughs> and you guys are veering off course, you know. Right. Yeah. And uh, because like David and I, even though we had chemistry, it wasn't like the Francois chemistry where it was really respectful and uh, you know and and uh, supportive. You know, it was more like, oh, let's just try and get the best tunes as we that we can and you know whatever and um yeah it was kind of a different vibe so anyway and the thing about quentin i mean he the guy i heard that night singing beatles songs wasn't the guy that was singing my songs i'm like he added too much vibrato and just kind of came off all swar- kind of swarmy and and i'm like wait a minute what the fuck happened here and anyway and the biggest obstacle the biggest obstacle was political. He is oh. a total, total right winger. Oh, I mean, he's not a Trumper, but he's the next closest thing. Yeah. And uh, so I'm writing these lyrics, you know, like I'm looking for another Bono guy. You know, like yeah. a, I'm looking for a cross between Bono and Rod Stewart, you know. Right. And, uh, and And I get this guy who was like, he didn't have a problem singing the lyrics, but at the same time, I don't think he really understood what he was actually saying, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so we did gigs with him, and we would clear rooms because it was just swarmy delivery. But anyway, so we had a falling out, and and uh, you know uh, that actually led to the band kind of breaking up. And, uh, and this is before know, you recorded. <laughs> This is weird. It was while we're recording. Okay. We were we we had recorded the because if you read the credits, uh, I don't how am I going to name the tunes, but most of the songs, I think like six out of the ten songs were recorded at um, Rick Parker's Sandbox Studio in uh, over by the Peterson uh, Automotive Automotive Museum, and uh, I don't even know if he has that anymore, but but we recorded there, and. Uh, that's where uh, 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 Jill, the keyboard player from the Negro Problem, came in and laid down all those keyboards. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, that's a story in and of itself. I'll get to that. But but anyway, so we're recording this stuff, and uh, and we got like I said, six out of the ten, I think it was. And and then I, I you know I can't work with Quentin. He can't work with me. We've since make, made amends. He apologized for trying to take over the band. Um, you know, I had these amazing tracks. Some of the guitar playing that David did was, come on. I will put this guitar solo in Missing in Action up against anything in my record yeah. collection. I, I think that solo is as good as anybody's. I mean, uh-huh. you, you can think of, like, seminal guitar solos and great three-minute pop songs. Like, I know, and this might be a corny example, but it's one that I think is, you know, holds up. Like that White Lion song, um, Wait. I mean, that when I heard that song, I was like, God, I'm not a hair metal guy, but this is a really good pop song. This uh-huh. is a really good pop song. And, this, and the guitar play, even though I'm not into that, tapping the fretboard shit, you know, right. <laughs> like at all, yeah. like yeah. that solo is so melodic and just so hook laden. I was just like, that 
if you're going to do that stuff, that was a really good way to do it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> totally I different. Totally, well, totally different from like Derek Fuego in Enough Enough where it's just noodling in whammy bar and just, oh, God, please stop, you know. <laughs> right. I, you know, not. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but that you know, the songs were so good I could still listen to them. But the guitar playing was just the leads were just oh god, enough already, you know. Yeah, that's the worst. But um, but so I had all that this great stuff on tap, and uh, and I'm like, it's in the can. I'm like, I can't not finish this. So some time goes by, and uh, and I I asked. Like Tom had quit the band by now, you know. The only guys I've got is, is, is you know, we had uh, switched bass players. We, Carl, we'd gotten Derek from the Andersons, who you know, who just put out in a phenomenal solo album, and you know, of course his greatest. I mean, he's played from everybody from the Smithereens to um, Dave Davies of the Kinks, and and of course the Bangles, which you've been in for years. And uh, so David said, you know, we sound better with Derek. And and it was kind of making Derek step out of his comfort zone, playing in like a, a heavier band, you yeah. know, with like actual harmonic distortion coming out of the amps, you know, instead of jingle jangle. And, uh, but he, man, he killed it, you know. <laughs> he, yeah. he's, he's like amazing. Uh, so like, again, the, the rhythm section is just, anyway, so... So I, I asked Joe Hutchinson because we'd become friends because I would go see them every time they would play. I would just like, man, you guys are just, oh, God. And and I said, Joe, do you have any time? I mean, I got, I got these songs. And he hadn't heard them, so, I, you know, I, I played them for him. And and I, I don't know if he came and saw us live or with Quentin or not, maybe once. I don't know. But he knew Tom because Tom had played on one of his records. And I first I was since Tom had quit I was trying to get both Hutchinson brothers because Jimmy is an amazing drummer too and he plays in that big band open tuning kind of Keith Mooney kind of style that I like you know uh-huh. and uh, and Joe goes you know uh, yeah I can help you out so then anyway so Tom hears that like Joe's gonna do it so Tom goes no no I I, I you know yeah, I'll play with Joe. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then Tom kind of floats in and out and comes back. And uh, anyway, so, you know, that was, that ended the Quentin thing. And then, and then I don't know how I found John. I mean, again, it's, oh man, singers, but (laughs) you know, this as well as anybody. So I'm preaching to the choir, but if for the audience who doesn't know, finding a singer that's got their head screwed on right is next to impossible. And, uh, and so, uh, so then I I don't know how I found John, but I just remember like going, uh, yeah, you're, you're really good. And so I'd say, Hey, will you help me do this? You know, a couple songs. Yeah. So a couple songs, I kept kind of pushing him. Hey, we want to do these. And then Joe, we were in the studio at the Lincoln Lounge by then. We're actually finishing the other songs that I had written, but hadn't had recorded yet, like Juggernaut. And uh, so we're in with my friend Steve Reffling at the Lincoln Lounge in Venice. And uh, Joe's like, you know, this guy's really good. You might get him 
keep them, get them to sing on the whole album? I'm like, yeah, sure. But I should have listened to my friend Frank Meyer, who had also, from the Street Walking Cheetahs, who had also worked with John. He said, be careful. This guy can't commit. He goes, he's really good. He goes, but I was in a band with him before. And he goes, he'll do something good and just walk away. And I'm like, yeah, well, hopefully, you know. And he was right. That's exactly what happened. And it was really weird, you know, because he would always talk about this other guitar player that he was working with. And like I said, I've, I, I never talk about how great I am because I'm not. Um, but he, he, Tom's a really good drummer. So John contacted Tom and asked him to jam with this, his best guitar player friend. And Tom comes to me afterwards. Like, I didn't know this happened. Tom goes, Hey, I got to tell you this. He goes, I, I jammed with John and his friend. I don't, remember, I don't know the guy's name. And he goes, he goes, man, okay, you and I both know you're not the most accomplished guitar player in the world. He says, but this guy that John brought down, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, man, he goes, you sound like Brian May next to this guy. I forgot who or, <laughs> or whoever he said, you know. Right. It was somebody on that on that level. And he goes, he goes this guy was terrible. Because he couldn't even play his own stuff. Then we tried to do a cover. He couldn't even do that. He, he says, it was terrible. He goes, but John, he, he, could, he was really into this guy. And I'm like, so I'm like, okay, so here's this singer that's basically got this jet engine behind him with these four guys playing these great songs and doesn't appreciate it in any way, shape, or form. Wow. And just And just walked away. After we wow. did the record, I tried, I, we did like, I don't know, like three, just a handful of gigs. Uh-huh. And uh, and he said he, he wanted to go to back to school because he didn't want to be poor when he was old. And I'm like, okay, how are these mutually exclusive? Yeah, no shit, and, Yeah, can you go to school and be in a band at the same Come time on. too? I mean. Yeah, so, I mean, it was just like that. I mean, and so at least I got um, a recorded artifact of, you know, what we did, you know. Yeah, that's great. And at least least the, you know, he sings on key and a couple of the words he screwed up, but, you know, it still affects me. But, oh, well, you know, we got got performances out of him and and he was, you know, he was... He was good. He was decent live. He wasn't is, he wasn't Rod, Rod Stewart, but he was decent. Is he the guy who came up with Baby or Richmond outro? No, that that how <laughs> I left that out. Thank you for getting me back. No, that was actually Quentin because he was such a Beatle freak. That was a Quentin idea. Oh, okay. And that was the one thing that Quentin and I bonded on, and that was the raspberries. And uh, and and he, and he was really into the Beatles, and then we were, and that's why the the one two three four and the and the little sounds on missing in action. So that was that was you know that's total Eric Carmen. We're we're, yeah. we're totally ripping off Eric Carmen uh, on that, and and I love it. <laughs> I because the way I look at it is Eric Carmen ripped off so many people from the Beach Boys to the Faces to uh, you know the Small Faces. God, you name it. Uh, I'm like, why can't we rip him off too? So that's that's you know, he's right for the picking. So let's talk about that song. That's that's I think I, you know I love the political songs, but as far as songs go, I think that's my favorite.
Wow. Well, I I, I love that because it's um, it's uh, oh man. Okay. Well, this is kind of autobiographical. The harmonies uh, are great. The melody. It's great. Well, that yeah. Well, that was my attempt at a you know at a Mathupal power ballad, and that that's mm-hmm. that that's what I was going for. I wanted to. It, I mean, I was. It was like those those big kind of crunchy chords were just like, um, you know, like I say, it was it was Montopal, and uh, I made no bones about it. I, I just wanted to to have that kind of a thing, and uh, and it was written about this this girl, uh, Randy, who was this singer in this in this metal band it was her band too i was uh um they were they were i think it was guys and she was the girl singer and uh they were called war bride so that's where the line where you know where i come up with the war for uh um for everything uh war i have to remember for war brides everything has to wait yeah that was it so uh, yeah i came up with that line And, and so it's all structured about her and and us meeting at bars and and just hanging out. I mean, it was really really weird. And then she dropped out of sight. I mean, I used to see her on the scene all the time and just like kind of like freak out when I'd see her. And because uh, she was like, she, you oh, know, so she was, so she's missing in action. Exactly. She was. I mean, she was oh, get like, I got it. <laughs> she was this beautiful. I mean, she. Like unconventionally beautiful. Like she had the Cher Bono teeth before Cher got them fixed. She had like 1960s era Cher Bono teeth, you know, which yeah. sometimes it's the imperfections in in a person that can make them sure. all the more sexy, you know. So yeah. she had those kind of teeth, and she had these big bee stung lips, naturally that weren't, you know, fucking Botox or collagen or any of that crap. And yeah. and she had she was she had these huge. I mean, her eyes were just huge she had this really bad bleach blonde hair and and but she was super curvaceous and and i mean she was just beautiful like like you know like i said the the line i i, I wrote for for her was you know uh, about the um you know her image was ready for pinup covers i mean that that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, so i was like it's a total descriptive song it's totally actual real events and and actually Kenneth changed a line in there about the uh, about the uh, something about the uh, time would pass before they held each other uh, in bar fly light I had uh, um, I had um, bar bar light or somebody he changed that line and anyway uh, so so I wrote the song about about her, and like I see, she totally, totally disappeared. And then years, years, years later, uh, Carl, the first bass player, my dear friend Carl, he actually ran into her, and she's like married, I think, to some like I don't know, German or Swiss guy or something like that. Oh, she know about the song. Anyway, Carl told her about it when he saw her, oh. and and she was like, I don't, you know, I don't. She, never heard it whatever but he, he kind of told her and, and she was like oh wow that's nice and and, was, and she's got a kid i think and or maybe two by now i don't know right. but she hung up her guns 
she hung up her guns before I did, you know. I mean, I, it was weird because it was like one of those fixtures on the on the uh, on the L.A. club scene, and then poof, she just gone. Right. And so that's that's what yeah. inspired the song, as as well as wanting to emulate my my heroes, Mapuple um, and Indian Hunter, you know. Um, the, you know. Yeah. yeah, big chords, big chords, big sound, you know, and uh, and, and, and great and, melody. Well, thank you, thank you. Fucking yeah, great like, yeah. harmonies, love it. Um, but, but, and, that, and that's a combination of all three guitar players. I mean, Francois and I worked out really? the arrangement. Uh-huh. We worked out the arrangement, but then David came up with those amazing guitar parts. Then. Joe Hutchinson is the one that uh, nailed all those harmonies because when we went in the, the when we went, we went we went into the Lincoln Lounge in Venice, we had Quentin's vocals on those on six of those songs. And I think that was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I told Steve, I go, okay, hit the button, <laughs> <laughs> erased them all, and we, wow. so all the vocals were taken off. I don't think we had background vocals, maybe a couple. And we and just erased everything, and then we put John's vocals on. And Joe, being the the songbird that he is, I mean, the guy yeah. sings like an angel. He so he he's he, singing he, the backup vocals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, oh. Joe Joe really Joe yeah. came up with all those those harmonies and stuff. Yeah, that's that's yeah. all. Joe thinks like that. That's just who Joe is, you know. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, talk about him because I used to go see the Zeros, the Purple Hair Zeros, right when I first came to LA, and they were like my favorite local band. And he was just like, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember thinking that dude is so cool, you know. <laughs> and then right. when I found out that he played on your album, I was like, wow, total fanboy! Like that dude's awesome. <laughs> Well, you know, and it's funny because I'm friends with both of the Zeros. Uh, Javier, I met first yeah. before I met Joe. The uh, Chula Vista, National City, San Diego, Southern California Zeros, uh, the right. Chicano Zeros, and uh, I met Javier when he was in the True Believers with his with his brother Alejandro, and uh, I even went out to Austin to see them and stay with them, and uh, yeah, man. I I've, I love Javier. In fact, that's that's the la- before this COVID thing hit, dude. That was the last show that we went out and saw was the, the Zeros at at this little place in uh, San Pedro, and it was so great seeing Javier and Baba Baba Chanel, his drummer, and um, yeah, it was it was yeah. They're I can't. I mean, they're great. I mean, we're we're brothers from different mothers. Uh, <laughs> that's and, great. Uh, and and then so I meet Joe and I mean and the same thing happens, man. I mean, you know, I mean, Joe and I are, you know, Joe's not a Mexican like me, but but you know, Javier like Javier and I. But yeah. man, I don't know. It's that same thing again. We just met and it was just like when you meet somebody and you just know they're just a good, solid, upright, honest person, and that's yeah. what, man. What, and, and plus, just a killer player, and his brother Jimmy, great drummer, man. I just, ah, oh, dude, I'm telling you that that guy, 
oh, man, you know, he's living, I don't know, I think out in Corona or somewhere like that, but I wish Jimmy was around so I could just see him play. He's just, so he's just, you know, again, one of my favorite drummers. You know, I'm really, you know me, I'm really hard on drummers, but I love yeah, that guy, man. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good player, man. Just a, and, and just a cool dude. You know, funny, really funny, really funny guys, you know, yeah. and, um, and um, yeah, that was the other thing. Just one thing back to Tether, back to Francois. That was the other thing. Not only did we have chemistry musically, we'd make each other laugh. We would laugh like like we were on weed or something. I and mean, we would just crack <laughs> right. up and just never, just until we were, te- I'd have, you know, stomach pains and just laughing. And it was like, so when you have that going on, plus you're able to come up with some good ideas, you know. That was another thing that Francois and I had in common. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, so what martial law, martial law. What inspired okay. martial law in 2000, whatever it was that you wrote the song? Yeah, well, that's a, you know, it's weird. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. It was, yeah, I'm trying to think back. Let me think about that. Cause, uh, I don't know. I came up with the 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 chord again. That's Francois and I. So I came up with the structure of this song, and and you know Francois goes, okay, great. We'll do the big who A chord right there. And I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, I'm a sucker for that stuff. You know, and uh-huh. so we kind of came came up with the arrangement. But that was one we hadn't recorded yet. Uh, so that I think that was recorded at the Lincoln Lounge. I'm pretty sure I'd have to look at the liner notes. But um, um, and it had a longer introduction, and Joe cut it down. Thank God, because I think it's perfect the way he did it. And uh, and I changed uh, the little part in the middle where the guitar solo was over, made it more Aerosmithy in a way. And um, I don't know. I was just looking around, thinking that like. Uh, you know, I think the line of of, of you know it can't happen here, you know, but it, it could. And I think that's what I what I was thinking about was that like, you know what, you know, this this facade or illusion of democracy is just that right. that. Anything can happen because I always I always tell people and, and this is how my my bottom basement ground floor for any discussion I have with anybody that's not politically engaged or enlightened or whatever you want to say well, and that is is that is that there are all these mechanisms in place that keep our country from moving in a leftward direction but there is nothing in place that's keeps us from moving in a fascistic direction. Uh, I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking back, you know, what the FBI did and COINTELPRO and, and you're, you know, about MK ultra and, and, and you and I've recently talked about the, you know, about Charles Manson's role in destroying the hippie movement. And, and you can look at like Altamont compared to, uh, you know, Monterey pop. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I just saw like, I just wanted to ex- put out there that like, hey guys, 
you need to pay attention because we're not as secure right. in this in this in this like I say illusion of a democracy which we know it's not it's more of an oligarchic republic I, I heard the song is kind of even though it's a lot heavier it's kind of more hooish but I heard it as kind of clash in a way too. Juggernaut 
Yeah, no, Juggernaut's my favorite track on the whole thing, <clears throat> on the whole CD out of the ten. That that is that is the one. I I I mean I'm a you know you always say you know there's certain people that are Stones people and there's some people that are are uh, Who people and yeah I'm a mod I I admit it I'm a I'm a total Who guy and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah I hear it and that. So I mean that's my environmental song. That's that's my uh, global warming song. That's uh, that's what that is. You know, I mean you look even at, before uh, Al Gore, you were you wrote the song. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's what Bush used to call. Him. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, the opening uh, verse is uh, a constant struggles in the world today. There's a consequence to all we do and say. The corporate system wants to own it all for short-term profit. Life support sold away, and then and then the chorus changes a couple times, but basically it says the global economy, neoliberal murder, because of the GNP, um, uh, laissez-faire means murder or something like that. Yeah, because of the yeah. GNP, laissez-faire means murder.
Another one of my big musical heroes is Paul Weller. And, and, and if you listen to like a song like That's Entertainment or something like that, I mean, this guy is cramming these multi-syllable words into melodies like, like no, dude, if you look down on paper, you're like, how are you going to work that out melodically? <laughs> and, and, right. uh, and, uh, and, and I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. And it does. <laughs> I would sing these things over and over as I'm playing them. And I go, okay. If I land on, yeah, it still lines up with one. Yeah, okay. But I was like, I am not going to compromise my message uh, because there's a multi-syllable word or it's clumsy or some, or, you know, the singer's not going to be, it's not, ooh, baby. You know what I mean? That's, (laughs) you know, that is not, that's not what, so I'm I'm very proud of that song, even though like, and and I give a lot of uh, credit to Tom on that because when I introduced the song and I had that intro riff, uh, remember, this is out without Francois. I mean, Francois is gone, so this is like me. This song's me, but wow. I give cre- I give credit to uh, Tom, our drummer. He goes, okay, well, what do you hear? What's it What's it going to be like? And he goes, I go, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a who song. And he goes, okay. So he starts playing that open-handed, you know, snare floor tom, you know, Keith Moon. Kind of, thing. and I'm like, oh my, okay, I get it now. So we're locking into that. We, I go, you took me literally, didn't you? And I'm like, okay. And then, uh, and David's like, we start doing. I do the intro, and 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 Tom comes in with the drums, and David goes, oh well, I guess it goes. I go, this is what I do next, and he bang hits the big power chord, and I'm like, yes. And I'm fucking, you know, creaming my jeans because I'm like, that's what I love. I want, I'm like, that's, I don't care if it's cliche. I want that. And yeah, I was like, and, and then we started playing the song and and we recorded it at the lounge and we were trying to, trying to get it like a, like a, just one click slower. And we recorded it like three or four times, but I think this was our first or second try. And Steve, I remember Steve when he was uh, recording it just goes, that's it. That's the one because you were all together on that. Then we go, no, it was a little too fat. You know, no, the energy was there. That that was it. And sure yeah. enough, and we tried it several more times. And Jiggy goes, all right, now listen to this one. He'd play it, and I was on. Everybody was on. And we're like, he goes, it's there. He goes, listen to that. You guys had it. So right. you know, kept kept the. I just think I added little overdubs on my guitar I think we kept the scratch guitars and uh and the rhythm I mean it was so we recorded that live except for the vocals and the overdubs and and I and, and it's and 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 I love the bridge in that song because I had Joe sing it you know the way Pete Townsend always sings the bridges in the song uh, and it's in his higher non-dultery voice you know yeah so uh, that's why I had um, Joe sing that, and and uh, yeah, and it, and it, and again, it goes back to Columbus and colonialism, and goes back to the the beginning. You know, 500 years ago, uh, it all began, um, or was it just the beginning of the end? Uh, what was said to be so civilized uh, brought with it untold evils and genocide. It's not a lighthearted tune. <laughs> Well, that's, wow, that's that's amazing. I, 
I I don't want to offend you because uh, this I mean this is a huge compliment because this was my favorite band as a kid. But it reminds me of Kiss. It reminds me of something that could have been on Destroyer. I could totally hear Paul Stanley singing this. No, that's fine, man. No, I don't. You know, there's something about. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because there was this that song actually got airplay, and I think I think it was Oregon or Washington State. Wow. Uh, anyway, this guy, we were, I was emailing this guy, and he bought the CD off of uh, Not Lame or or any anyway, one of the places, and 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 he and he seen that he goes, uh, you know, he emailed me because my email's on the on the disc, and he he goes, man, I love this song. To him, it reminded him of an Almond Brothers song, and I'm like, "Are you high?" I'm like, no, man. I'm I'm like, whatever. You're playing the tune. I don't care. You can say it reminds right. you of polka. I don't care. You know. Right. So, That's funny. So no, I don't take offense. I don't. It's all up to interpretation. I mean, you know. Sure. But that's why. That's why we added the live horns, and I'm really, really, really. I still to this day. Just am so amazed at Tom's drumming. He he goes from Keith Moon to John Bonham in the bridge like in a instant. He just like yeah. and that and that and the triplets he does on the kick drum in the middle of the of the guitar solo is oh god, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I just love it. And uh, so yeah, no, that's my favorite song. And plus, that's the one song where I didn't play my Les Paul Junior. I played my '56 Les Paul TV special single cutaway that. Uh, regrettably, I had to sell to um, uh, Brian. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Brian Forsythe of uh, Kicks to finance the mm. suspension on uh, the rear suspension on my hot rod. But uh, I played that that guitar on that song, and it's my favorite track. And uh, I got to use the you know do the uh, Pete Townsend uh, toggle switch thing at the end. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you mentioned hot your hot rod. I'd like to bring us back to the title of the album and some of the clips. Um, of there's two oh, songs. The, there's one yeah, called oh, the Small Block Nitro and another one. Um, yeah, the well, the sound effects. Yeah, yeah. The, the top. Well, it's okay. The the story behind that is so, number one again. That's kind of a homage to Matahupal in an all the albeit Anthony kind of way. Uh, like if you listen to like the Mott and the Hoople album by Mott Hoople, uh, they would throw in these little side of, uh, sound effects between between tunes. And uh, since I'm okay, I just got to time, got done talking about my juggernaut, my uh, environmental song. <laughs> right. And, but yet, but yet, the contradiction is I'm really into nostalgia drag racing, okay, and uh, and I'm a total I'm a total gearhead and and I love that kind of stuff and um, I don't know whatever I I was that way as a kid I put it on hold for a long time when I got back into music then I got back into it when I moved to California because um, just north of us in Bakersfield is like mecca for that sort of thing in famosa raceway and i would i started going to the california hot rod reunion and march meet when hardly anybody was going it was like 
there weren't that many people, a few thousand. And now it's like packed, you know, it's tens of thousands of people. And, uh, but I, you know, and I got into that. And so I put um, those little sound effects. The uh, beginning one is uh, the Champion Speed Shop car, which was driven by Sammy Hale. It's also uh, pictured on the cover there. And um, that top fuel car, which is powered by a small block Chevy, and that car ran a 587, I believe it was, or 586, way before any of the top fuel cars were going that fast. And and it's just a little small block car, a little wedge head car, as opposed to a, a Hemi 392 or you know Donovan 417 type or 426 elephant motor. So. Uh, so I mean that car is like amazing, and I, I befriended that team, and I and I I got to know Sammy and 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 his and his daughter and um, the owner of the team Bob McLennan, and uh, they're just great people, and they're from Northern California, and so it was just a way to 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 kind of tie in everything I I I like, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's why I race. thought I'd ask you about it because. It's it's part of the title, and we didn't we didn't talk about that yet. So, yeah, you know, it's like I said, it's sex, drags, and rock and roll. And the and the thing about it is too, because that was one of the 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 ideas I had for the band. Okay, there are bands that only sing about romance and and girls and sex and whatever and partying, uh, you know, whatever. And then there are bands that only are political. Well, I wanted to kind of do, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to be either or. I have things I want to say, but I also had these experiences that I want to write about, like missing in action, best you've ever had, those kind of things. Um, I didn't want it to be either or. To me, again, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be both things at the same time. You can, you can, and that confused a lot of people because we used to play these. We used to play, uh, um, what was it? Uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, Poptopia, uh, or uh, not Pop? Yeah, uh, Poptopia, and what's the uh, uh, IPO, International Pop Overthrow? We played those those shows, right. and we're a lot heavier than a lot of those bands. In fact, oh. we befriended a. a, a a band in Florida, they played right after us, after we, after our set. And I wish I could remember their names. They were cool dudes. And they actually wrote our band name into one of their songs. And uh, it was was really cool. So I, again, I'm like a power pop guy, but I'm more of a raspberries, cheap trick, enough's enough kind of pop guy. You know, I want, I want half stack amps, you know, uh, you know, Gibson guitars and uh, you know, a, a jazz or P bass through an Ampeg SVT and a and a 26 inch kick drum, you know, on the, on the drum set. I you know, it's got to be big and it's got to be That's why originally when I was doing the, the uh little stuff that we did recorded with um with um Quentin, I called it uh, pop music on a grand scale, or uh, you know, and uh, you know, power pop with the emphasis on the power. You know, I mean that that's right. yeah. that's 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 what I wanted to be. I mean, 
I love jingly jangly stuff too. I mean, one of you know some of my favorite bands are well, like yeah. Mom, Mamas and the Papas and and the Turtles. I mean, I love that. I love I love that stuff as much as I love the you know the first Cheap Trick album. But I I, I would just get I just know me as a player because I'm like not that great. It's like there's just something so freaking powerful and orgasmic about just fucking hitting power chords and hear them yeah. coming out of those speakers and just, yeah. oh, man, it's it's just so empowering. You just go, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what sucked me into rock and roll. It was, I mean, it was Kiss, but it was that sound. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Um, So the last one I think we have time to cover is is the other one you said was a political song that sort of in disguise called Life in a Moment. Yeah, Life in a Moment is like it. It's that song. I I love that song. I I, I didn't realize that. Um, I'm, after I heard it, after we'd finished it, because that's David again. That's I mean that the guitar intro. I, Francois is gone at this point. I had these chords, and I, and David and I worked on the arrangement of that. And uh, so he came up with the, um, the 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 I think the bridge and and the great riff in the beginning. And uh, to me, that's the song that should be the the theme of the feel good uh summer movie hit. I mean it's right. like my God, somebody too bad John Hughes isn't alive anymore. I'd be the, the theme to this next uh, I mean because that, that intro that David came up with is so uplifting and just so I mean it's just it's got such a great groove.
So here's the hidden politics of it. Uh, you know me, and we've known each other for a while. So you know, I am not fucking a new age guy in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. Though I did vote for Marianne Williamson when she was running against Ted Lieu when I lived in uh, in, in that district, you know, uh-huh. and, and I went and saw her speak, and I really thought she was great, even though in this last presidential run she had some blind spots, you know, she wasn't 100% on, on board with Medicare for All and, and a couple other things, but yeah. she since she since come around. Now she's for Medicare for All. I think she's uh, strained her out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Our, 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 yes, our, our fearless leader Jimmy Dore. Who <laughs> so to sum it up, what I guess I'm saying is that life in a moment. I'm singing about being woke before that term existed. Um, it's just about raising consciousness and being aware of what's going on around you and not being oblivious and and just living in your own bubble, but actually being aware of the political landscape and how it affects your everyday life. Right. Uh, I, that's that's what I was trying to, to say with the song, uh, albeit in a very ambiguous kind of new agey sounding kind of way. Um, <laughs> right. If everybody did that, we'd be in a much better place. Yeah, that's, that's it. Like I said, yeah. even though I'm a, I'm a, a pessimist, a sk- you know, uh, and a total cynic, uh, I like to put it out there and be positive, and so that's what I was attempting to do. Cool, man. So that brings us, you know, full circle to uh, – not really full circle, but you wanted to mention, and I think it's important we mention your Dolls cover. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Well, did. that – all right. Well, that was another instance of uh, – okay, the band's broken up. Uh, sex, uh, uh, sex, drags, and rock and roll is done. It's mm-hmm. out in the out in the ether, and and these guys in Oklahoma hear it. They're the guys that put on that 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 glam festival that they have in Oklahoma, yeah. which can be like the weirdest thing. Like, is it glam or like just hair metal rock? It, yeah, it's like eighties hair kind of. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I know they're Oklahoma affiliated with this. I know they're affiliated with it somehow. I'm, I'm pretty sure, and okay. and they have they have this 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 little this little label. Here, here, let me uh, let me grab it. And so they so anyway, I get this email, and they, and they're like, uh, we're doing a New York Dolls tribute. We really like uh, your CD. Um, oh yeah, what's it called? Fast Lane Records. Anyway, and. Uh, and, and we want you to be a part of it, you know, and, and I'm like, wow, cool. All right. I don't have a band, but I got to do this because yeah. I love the freaking dolls. And I have, I got to, I got to, I, I can't pass this up. This right. is too fucking good, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, so uh, Derek's on board, of course, because he's the nicest person on the planet. Bass player. And yeah. And, and, uh, so I called Joe Hutchinson, and again, it's the thing where I'm going to get Joe and his brother Jimmy, because Tom is like, <sighs> bands are so weird, dude. Because on one hand, they're they're what it's like fucking Charles Dickens or something being in a band. It's like <laughs> it was the best of times and the worst of times, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. the tale of two cities in in in, in a band being in a band, because.
because I've made some of the closest friends that I will ever have in my life being in bands, Derek and Joe uh, and, and, and other people like uh, my bass player uh, that I had, that I learned to play with uh, my buddy, Steve Davis, who's within U S bombs and, and a uh, bunch of punk bands, glass heroes and stuff like that. Uh, and then on the other hand, you meet other people, even though they're brilliant musicians, but man, they can be really disappointing friends and, uh, and, and have really questionable character, you know, yeah. you know, and like I say, I, I love Francois, uh, you know, but he's, a, you know, he's an edgy person. I'll just put it that way, but, but not in a, a bad way, you know, I mean, I, I, I love the guy, um, but like I don't talk to John the singer anymore, and probably never will. I'm not close with my drummer, even though Tom is the perfect drummer that I've ever played with. I mean, but I was always worried, like, oh my God, I'm not. Tom's not around. I'll never find another drummer like that. And then I go see Dusty Watts, and then I'm like, no problem. There's yeah. other guys like that out yeah. here, you know. <laughs> So it, it's it's like it's it can be really heartbreaking, you know. It can be really uplifting, and you and you yeah. bond, and you you really just God, you man, it's just people that you would you know fall on a sword for, and there's other people you you would you would you wouldn't help them if they were bleeding in the gutter, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so, yeah. so here I am again. I'm like, okay, so I asked Joe and Jimmy. If they, if they and Joe goes, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, but but Joe at that time, he kind of had some problems personally. So I'm like, oh fuck. So uh, uh, he's not going to do it. So I get um, I, I turn to my friend uh, 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 Kurt Flozak from the uh, B movie Rats, and. Uh, I mean, he's a guy like me when we just are like in love with P90 Gibson guitars. You know, he had a he's got like a Gibson Coronado, and I've got my Junior, and I had my Special, and we just we just bonded over that kind of stuff. And I used to love going to see the B movie Rats. I mean, they were just fucking great band. And uh, so I said, Kurt, I go, man, I've got this, I've got this, uh, um, this. Uh, offer to do this a doll song and so I, I and he goes yeah because i emailed the guy back right away and i said all right is vietnamese babe still available and he goes and i get an email back next day yeah it's still available i go okay consider it done that because that was the only song i wanted to do that yeah. was it i didn't want to do any other song but that one song yeah. and uh as much as like there's other really amazing songs, but that was the one I wanted to do. Yeah. And so, so Kurt comes, uh, uh, Kurt says, yeah, I'll do it. So, uh, I said to Tom, I go, Tom, look, I, I'm, I just want to record this New York doll. I got, you know, we could be on this tribute CD. We, you know, we just, you know, you don't have to play live. We just like studio record, just rehearse a couple times. And he goes, yeah, okay. So Tom luckily agreed, and because um, Joe and Jimmy were unavailable, and and then um, so I get so okay, I got a band. I got 
two guitars, bass, and drums. And I'm like, who's am I going to get to sing in this? Because I'm not even on speaking terms with John at this point. And plus, he wouldn't be right for it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I turned to our mixer, Jack Atlantis, who can mime anybody. You know, he used to do those uh, club makeup things, and they would do different nights of different people's music. And he would be oh, Bowie yeah. one night. Then he would be somebody else the next night, and then he would, you know, whatever. And uh, and uh, that was like pulling teeth to get him to do it. And like wow. one time, he, he like he came down to the studio, and I'm like, he's like, oh well, I just thought we would like, I don't know what he said or I don't even remember, but I go, no, no, you don't get it. You're you're going to record your vocal tracks. Today, if you don't do it today, I, I I don't have any more money, and I don't have any more time to waste. Everything's done. We've got everything. You are recording your vocals today. Wow. And he, and he goes, oh, oh, okay. So the thing about uh, Jack, too, that was really frustrating, not only was it hard uh, trying to get him to finally lay down the track, which he did, and was you know, was pretty pretty damn good. Uh, and he was a guy that I'd asked to be singer a long, long time previous to recording with John and, and stuff. I just walked up to him at a show at the, I think it was the the Roxy. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, Jim White, he goes, he, I'm, saying, oh, I'm looking for a singer. He goes, well, why don't you go ask David Bowie over there? And so there's this guy dressed like a peacock and, you know, a little skinny, you know, tall dude. So I went up to him and and asked him, you know, I go, are you a singer? He goes, yeah, I am. And uh, anyway, we became friends, but, of course, he had his own band going on, and uh, he was kind of uh, cautious to do another project other than what he was doing. So fast forward, he ends up mixing uh, Sex, Drags, and Rock and Roll, and then uh, I need a singer to do this Dolls cover. And uh, so he steps up, you know, and I got him to finally do it. And so the plan was to do a band, he and I. And I said, don't worry, I'll get, I'll find players. Let's do it. And he was like on board and goes, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it could be cool. Because, you know, now I'd proven myself. He'd heard what we did. Yeah. He mixed it, made it sound great. Uh, so, so, you know, I had proof. Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this isn't a fluke. And um, so we were going to do that. And then uh, the Dolls uh, tribute CD comes out. And some guy online reviewed the our version of Vietnamese Baby. He liked it. I mean, it wasn't a negative re- review at all. In fact, he complimented it. And he, I guess, didn't read the liner notes. And he referenced... The first CD, our Sex, Drags, and Rock and Roll, our, I guess our only CD at that point, yeah. and uh, and he thought that John Napier was the singer on Vietnamese Baby. Now, how he thought that, I don't know, because they sound completely different. Right. But he did, and I get this email from Jack that was just nothing short of, short of hysterical, saying that this is terrible. He, he didn't acknowledge me that... You know, he thought it was the other singer, and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do about it? You know, I have no control over what somebody else does. 
Yeah. But he it flipped him out to the point where I'm like, Jack, let's let's talk. I email him back. I go here. So I call him, and I call him again, and I call him a third time. Like, what is going on? He won't return my calls. Wow. I'm like, like, okay, again, if anybody had ever any, any dealings with like. I don't know. People that are know, less than 100% sane, they've probably dealt with a singer or a vocalist. I, I, I just, right. I, it, I, I, I don't know any, any other way to put it. So I, uh, anyway, last, I mean, that was it. I, that was the final straw for me. After all the stuff I'd gone through, I just said, forget it. I can't do this anymore. As much as I love music, and I said, I'm just going to be a spectator because I can't go through this constant roller coaster of up and down one t- one moment you're euphoric the next moment you're just ready to slash your wrist you know and yeah. and uh, yeah it's really really hard people just do not understand you know and uh yeah. so last i heard he'd moved back to new mexico where he's from and uh that was it we never never talked again
and and uh, and and the weird thing about that song, and it's actually the most satisfying thing for about that song for me is, um, uh, we put background vocals on it, and there are no background vocals on that track originally. Right. And when the New York Dolls, uh, you know, with uh, um, uh, oh God, who's got it? Uh, yeah, with Steve Conte, that lineup of the dolls. Thank you. You knew what I was thinking. Um, they played uh, Sunset Junction in Silverlight. Yeah. So uh, Karen, who s- sings background on it, um, uh, along with Jack. Anyway, so we went down to go to see the dolls. And they do Vietnamese Baby. And lo and behold... Sylvain Sylvain is doing those background vocals that we put in our version. Wow. Aaron and I looked at each other and went, did you just hear that? (laughs) And they were like, yeah. Oh, my God. They've heard it, which makes sense. Because yeah. David Johan- David Johansson's on one of the tracks, and and Steve right. Jones is on an, wow. on another. So uh-huh. of course they got a copy and they heard it, but I didn't think it would influence them to the point where they would start doing the background <laughs> vocals that we put on it. That's but pretty it cool. did. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. it was really gratifying and uh, so really cool. I, I'm really proud of that. There, I'm not really there's well okay the. Uh, the alarm are on this, and and they're cool, you know. But uh, 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 American Anthem, their version of "You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory," and um, oh, what's the other track? I'm looking at it here. Uh, oh, Lonely Planet Boy. Um, who's the version of that? Oh. Hard to read this little bitty ass writing, but. Um, um, oh yeah, Lonely Planet Boy by uh, Crash Kelly. Those are the other two tracks that just, along with ours, if I say so myself, are really outstanding. I mean, they're those, those, man, those, those guys did a great job. Uh, so where can people get that album? What's the name of that album? It's called Jet Boys of Babylon, and uh, a tribute to the New York Dolls. Uh, I don't. I, who knows? You know, go on to Disc Dogs or something like that. Um, oh, Disc Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, I'll put a uh, link to to both albums. So in your in your album, Sex, Dragging, Rock and Roll uh, is definitely on on Apple Music, iTunes, and Spotify. And, thank God. Uh, <laughs> and you have CDs. So if you if people want yeah. CDs, they can email you, right? Exactly, you know, and it's just uh, Anthony at slowmotorcade dot com, or uh, which links to my uh, Mister Tulane at yahoo dot com, and you know, so that's how that's how all, all these people I've spoken about got a hold of me was just through the email link on the uh, on the CD, and uh, oh. it's like I say, Mister Tulane at yahoo dot com, M R T W O L A N E at yahoo dot com. Like I said, I've just got too many damn copies of it in my garage, uh, yep. in front of my hot, in front of my hot rod, and I'd love to get rid of them. And I also have stickers and buttons too. So, um, <laughs> so everybody, email Anthony, get a, get a, get some stickers and buttons and a, and a CD, 
And um, on, on a deep politics note, uh, they, mm-hmm. they did slow down the motorcade. And yeah. they're lear- they're learning that because they're they're Hollywood. Uh, there are some Hollywood editors and um, tech people uh, working on the Zapruder film and, and you know all the edits. And mm-hmm. they're finding out that like seconds were cut out. And there's mm-hmm. a documentary coming out. Um, I don't know when. I think they premiered the trailer like a year or two ago. Um, but that should be a really cool documentary. Right on. No, no, they absolutely did. I mean, yeah, I've I've uh, I've heard people speak of that. Uh, you know, people in that uh, JFK assassination community yeah. talk about. Yeah, the the it slowed down right at the. Of course, they stopped. They they stopped. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They stopped. Yeah. Kill them then drove off. Um, yep. Anyway, yeah. and we'll be yeah. doing more episodes. This was the the introduction, the introductory episode. But I've been wanting to do a, a podcast called Deep Politics and Rock and Roll for years, and uh, I couldn't figure out who should be the co-host. And then it just hit me: of course, it's Anthony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since since Deep Politics and Rock and Roll have so much in common, you know, so because. Both the both real rock and roll and and uh, deep politics are so freaking underground and and not really exactly. talked about. You know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Man. That's exactly it. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks so much for doing it, and I'm sorry for the technical glitches, but. Uh... No, well, I'm. Uh, thanks for putting up with my ramblings, and like I said, thanks for flogging this way dead horse. Um, but. <laughs> You know, we we got to talk about uh, uh, your great stuff, dude. I mean, uh, American University's, dude. So far, that's your white album. I mean, it, it's great. Well, well thanks, I and and I, uh, I I'm happy to talk about. It. I'm sure it'll come up in our yeah, discussions. Yeah. But uh, all right. Well, guest, you got to go to work, and tomorrow, yeah. uh, and uh, we've jabbered on long enough, and. I'm sure we bored the people to death, and uh, but at least you'll be intersplicing tunes. Yes, lots of music, so it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. I appreciate it. You have a great night, and Thank I look you, forward to talking to you again soon, man. Yeah, we'll do everybody, it. We'll do it soon. And everybody out there, stay safe. And uh, like I said in Union of One, ever forward on our feet, never on our knees. <laughs>